Before we get into the episode, we want to let you know we are gathering another Attaching to God learning cohort. In it, you will escape your anxious jungles and avoiding deserts of faith and grow into secure attachment with God and with others. This is a one-of-a-kind six-week cohort combining recorded teachings and live cohort calls. So you can get all the details at embodiedfaith.life slash learning dash cohorts or see the show notes for details after the description. Hey there, is the inability to pay attention becoming a cultural problem in our modern world? Is the hope for autonomy or freedom keeping us from paying attention to what really matters? Is losing the ability to pay attention crippling our spiritual lives? I think the answer is yes to a lot of those. And that's what we're talking about today. As always, I'm Jeff Holsklaw, and this is the Embodied Faith podcast brought to you by Grassroots Christianity, which seeks to grow faith for everyday people. Well, today we're bringing in a Jared Boyd, who is a pastor, a spiritual director, and the founder of the Order of Common Life, a missional monastic order for the 21st century. He pastors the Abbey, a contemplative church in the city of Columbus. And Jared is also the author of Imaginative Prayer, a year-long guide to our children's spiritual formation. And he's working on a book, which I'm super interested on, it which is called The Freedom of Constraint. That'll be coming out in a couple of years. So he lives just outside of Columbus in Ohio. Jared, welcome to the show. Well, there we it's go. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to be here. There. there you go. Well, we're talking about paying attention, and I'm already thoroughly distracted because I, I'm in a new little office, and I'm not sure the internet is working as well as it's supposed to. So now I'm worried that while we're talking that this whole thing is going to be a disaster, but I'm going to try to press through all of that and talk about how best to pay attention. Um, you and I, you read this uh, a bit ago, and I just stumbled upon this book um, by Matthew Crawford, which is, uh, it's called The World Outside of Our Minds. And he talks a lot about paying attention at the beginning uh, of the book. And he says that paying attention, he believes, has become an acute collective problem in the modern world because the question of how to attend is the question of value, but in our modern world, we no longer have a common set of values. But it's not just that we're distracted. He goes on to say is, is we've actually made distraction into a lifestyle that we value in a sense flitting around without any kind of commitments um, to a lifestyle of existence, a style of existence, uh, because we kind of value freedom. And we think that the ability to kind of do anything we want, anytime we want, and to flip between you know our programs uh, on our phone and our apps and even people and friendships and marriages and uh, communities, that that is actually a mark of freedom. But I think you don't think that's a mark of freedom, but I want to kind of stay with this idea of paying attention. How have you seen, you're, you're in charge of a, a monastic order. Um, which is all about, in a sense, paying attention in ways that maybe the whole modern world has been created not to do. So could you talk a little bit about your experience of paying attention and how you've kind of entered into this stream of the contemplative life in order to learn how to pay attention more? And we're going to kind of dip in and out of Crawford's work kind of as we go. 
Yeah, so I, I would just say, uh, first, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for hosting this conversation. Um, obviously, we have like a thousand things we could talk about um, or a thousand different ways. Yes. But I think that for me, um, I just maybe about 12 or 14 years ago started paying deeper attention to maybe sort of what was under the hood of my life, um, my spiritual life. Like just everything was sort of falling apart for me. Um, I went through a radical deconstruction long before it was a thing. I mean, this is like, <laughs> you know, uh, 15, 16 years ago, I just crumbled and um, spiritually crumbled, really lost the thread. And that really drove me towards asking some deeper questions about what was really driving things, my belief, what was driving my faith, why was I following Jesus or why, you know, how did I get into this? And so as I begin to, to think about that, um, what ultimately rescued me was some more of these contemplative practices that I picked up from the church, um, specifically in the monastic tradition, religious orders, um, practices of prayer and silence and solitude. And um, I think that that's been a phenomenal school of paying attention, mm, you know, mm-hmm. particularly silence and solitude. Mm. Well, let's get back to some of those practices in just a little bit. In in Crawford's book, because uh, you're writing this book called The Freedom of Constraint, which is super interesting to me. Uh, and it, uh, be, Jared wouldn't say this, but he's doing a full assault on the modern view of freedom. <laughs> he's going to destroy it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but so Crawford, he makes a couple of distinctions. He's, he says, we, we in, in kind of this modern world, uh, we're kind of obsessed with autonomy. Uh, and autonomy means that the kind of the whole world kind of bends to our will and that uh, and that that keeps us from actually paying attention. And why is that, does he say? Is because paying attention means that you actually believe that there's a world out there that in a sense doesn't care about us or is that is is there regardless of how we interact with it. And so he kind of makes this contrast between the seeking of autonomy that tries to control the outside world, even even other people, um, and paying attention, which allows ourselves to be constituted like in a partnership. And so uh, have you kind of seen these oppositions in kind of your life or the people you pastor or in the kind of the religious order that you've been trying to kind of create and cultivate? Um, yeah, I think the thing that stands out to me here, Jeff, is that um, that sense of you know, that assumption that the world bends towards what we want or that like, like the, we're the center of the framework for how we think about things. I think, I think I, as I remember Crawford's book, he talks about uh, the, this sort of radical responsibility for ourselves is I think the way he puts it. Right. We're, we live in a world where we, we think that we're only responsible for ourselves and therefore our, our concept of freedom is sort of driven from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And it's just not actually how the world works. Um, and particularly it's not how the Christian story works. I mean, the reason that falls apart um, for people of faith is because one of the things that we sign up for in following the way of Jesus is the a radical responsibility to one another. And so if we live in a framework of radical responsibility only to ourselves, uh, we lose sight of the fact that, that, the things that I want or the things that I'm pursuing may actually impact other people. 
And so I think that's where for me, um, some of this starts really hitting like the rubber hits the road is that when we start thinking about what it means to exercise freedom or constraint within community, uh, it changes the game for how the, the larger culture is, is really addressing that, which is primarily unhitched from community. It's more about individualized freedom. Absolutely. So then we're spiraling down into more and more individualism. Yeah. Carford, he talks about how, uh, he kind of has this chain, which I just thought was so brilliant. He says, uh, we kind of have this ethics of responsibility that you're the most free if you're responsible for your life, which means you have to uh, take advantage of every decision and make every decision your own, which means that we're pro- always prioritizing the active life or performance is because you can only judge uh, your self kind of responsibility based on your performance of the choices that you're free to make at any time. And then he says, it's no wonder that we're struggling with anxiety because there's just so much pressure to prove uh, the authenticity of your own radical individuality. And it's just overwhelming. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's a huge problem. So he talks about authenticity and I, I, I think you're a fan of maybe words like apprenticeship. So mm-hmm. he kind of, he makes a distinction between that radical responsibility um, as a mark of our own authenticity that um, that we live uh, because of our own choices uh, and then we bend the world to our will, like you said. So our own authenticity is based on the fact that we're at the center of the world. But like you just said, the Christian story, uh, and I would even say most contemporary neuroscience and kind of our best kind of understanding of psychology says that's not the truth. Uh, the truth. So he says, uh, apprenticeship is where we come alongside reality and we actually let the world be an authority that then we're molded around. And so we shouldn't seek an authentic self, whatever that might mean. We actually seek apprenticeship in reality. Mm. How does that, how does that fit with some of the things, uh, and the projects you've been working on? Yeah, I think when I think about reality, um, I think about sort of this radical acceptance concept that shows up in the contemplative tradition in the monastic stream. And it's a radical exception of what is true of my life. And so think about our lives as spiritual beings, as people who are apprenticing in the way of Jesus, um, a radical acceptance of where I'm at in that journey requires a great deal of humility. Mm-hmm. as I think about my apprenticeship to Jesus. But in order to get to that spot, we have to do some self-reflection, which is the opposite of self-justification. Mm-hmm. And so if we say that we are apprenticing in the way of Jesus, following the way of Jesus, we're, we're wanting to be like him. Um, if we're operating in pride, we're going to be constantly stuck in self-justification about why we're actually doing what we say we're going to do. But if we're operating in some degree of humility, we're able to just calmly see my intention is to follow in the way of Jesus. But I also accept the fact that the way that I presently live is not congruent to that. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the contemplative journey is inviting God into that gap between what we long for in our apprenticeship to Jesus and what is actually true of our lives. So 
really practically. Let's just talk about um, a, a fruit of the spirit, which is patience. Um, uh, any, anyone who has kids knows that there are moments when your, your patience uh, with your offspring is, is lower than you would wish it to be. <laughs> um, and you can think about that in a couple of different ways. You could, you could be caught in a cycle of self-justification about why you're not presently patient, or you can just live with a radical honesty and humility that says, wow, there's something going on with me that's causing this impatience. And uh, I should probably pray about that, talk to God about that, invite community in to speak to that, meet with the spiritual director about that. Like that's, that's where for me, that paying attention part, I think becomes uh, really significant in our apprenticeship to the reality of how the world actually is, which is Mm -hmm. I get impatient with my kids sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I do too. I was just, uh, I was hearing my son come down the hall yelling my name just now. Maybe it came through the microphone and I'm like, I have a sign on the door that says recording podcast now. That's right. So I was about to get impatient while you were talking about that. Yeah. But he saw the sign. So he turned away. Um, But speaking of our children then, um, is is Crawford, he he has this great um, example. He says, there's a difference between a toddler's will and an adult's will. And so just think, you know, just note here in Michigan, I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you're down in Columbus. I don't know if you got any snow, but it just note, you know, and toddlers are like, uh, I'm going outside and the parents will say like, well, we have to put our shoes on. And then you, you can just imagine a toddler's, you know, a toddler wills what a toddler wills and, mm-hmm. and that, and the toddler does not want to put shoes on. I will not put you, I will go outside, but I will not wear shoes. I will not wear a jacket. We're going outside. Right. Because there's like this purity of the toddler's will to will kind of the, this one thing, which is what I, whatever I want in the moment. Uh, and it feels like a constraint or it feels uh, like a violation to be told what to do in order to do the thing that you really want to do. Whereas he says an adult will doesn't think or argue with the fact of putting a coat on or um, shoes or snowshoes to be in the snow because the goal is to participate in the world because you have some goals and priorities and you want to have fun. Uh, and, and putting a shoes is, and coats and gloves is not a constraint on that will. It's just part of partnering with the will. And so in our, in our spiritual life, uh, you know, because the toddlers are only paying attention to themselves. What do I want in this moment? I don't want mm. to be uh, intruded upon by these things, but uh, you, you know, an adult will is paying attention to the whole context, paying attention to what they need, what's outside in the world, what are the relationships attending to paying attention to the whole thing. And so, to link this, you know, to spiritual life, like Paul says, you know, we're supposed to leave the things of, of toddlers and infants. We're supposed to grow in maturity of, of adulthood. And that, it seems, uh, if we take seriously this idea of paying attention, and, and certainly the neuroscience and self-control and self-regulation and our emotions are all based in around what are we attending to? What are we focused on? Uh, so could you spend kind of the rest of this time, can we be talking about some of these practices for learning how to pay attention to ourselves, to the world, to God, um, kind of in a really concrete kind of manner. Would that be okay? Yeah. So you yeah, mentioned silence and solitude. That. If you were taking a new person like me, uh, you know, or someone who's listening, say, I don't really know what uh, the concrete aspect of contemplative life is or how that might help me pay attention. Where would you start with them? And then kind of where would be the next couple steps after that? Yeah. So I, I would think that, um, 
like from the very beginning, I would, I would ask somebody to take a 15 minute walk once a day and just ask a couple of simple questions to try to gauge uh, how connected one is to what's actually going on. So asking questions like, how am I doing today? Or maybe at the beginning of the day, asking a question, how do I come into this day? Um, or at the end of the day, uh, how did I, how did I experience my day today? What was a predominant, what were some of the predominant emotions that I experienced? Um, and, uh, that level of, of just basic sort of self-awareness is a place that I would start with on somebody. Cause I think most people go through their life without a tremendous amount of self-reflection around mm. some of those, those questions. Um, you get to the end of a few weeks and you're like, man, I'm actually not doing very well or man, I'm doing great. Um, but you don't actually know why. And you don't necessarily know what, what activities or, you know, what about your work or about your family or about your friendships, what's actually contributing to either, um, you know, joy in your life, uh, or things going well, or what is contributing to some hardship. So just the basic practice of spending 15 minutes in a, in a walk or seated in a chair and just asking questions um, of one's self, so to speak. That's where I would begin with some folks. Mm -hmm. um, and then once that is a practice, a pretty regular daily practice, I would begin to, on top of that, layer in a secondary question of, uh, God, what would you want to point out to me about my day or what would you want to point out to me about the first half of my day? So maybe, maybe you practice this at lunch and go on a walk and spend some time in prayer, asking God to highlight or reveal something um, that he would want to pay attention to, that he would want you to pay attention to. Um, mm. So there's that self-reflection um, where you're, you're training a muscle of, of attentiveness to oneself. And then you add into that, this, this invitational muscle where we we're inviting God to speak into our life as well. Um, and honestly, those two practices combined could get a lot of mileage. <laughs> um, a lot of mileage. In fact, uh, Basil of Caesarea has this beautiful little homily. Um, it's, the title of the homily is actually uh, a homily on the words, be attentive to yourself. Mm. And he draws this from Deuteronomy. And uh, it's, it's really all about this deeper sense of paying attention to what's happening in one's life to one's self. How do I respond? What's going on there? And he says, be attentive to yourself that you may be able to discern what is harmful from what is healthful. Mm. And then he goes on this whole homily about why that's important and why that that is um, sort of at the center of our, of our life and our relationship uh, to our creator. Mm. That's fantastic. Yeah. So this idea of asking yourself, how am I doing? And then uh, asking God, what do you want to show me or what should I pay attention to? That, that is in a sense trying to create what is called shared attention. 
uh, mm-hmm. where and shared attention presupposes an actual shared reality. Uh, and so when you start sharing the, the kind of the marks of a narcissist is someone who's unable to share attention with someone else to understand that someone else is paying attention to something else that's that's not them. And so shared attention actually creates, you know, it's kind of the the founding foundation of creating community as well as creating shared values uh, and shared mission. And so you're kind of saying, you know, we're never going to effectively kind of grow in our spiritual life if we don't pay attention to what God is helping us pay attention to. Uh, So often we come, you know, our first steps in the spiritual life is just to come to God with our crises, come to God, you know, with helps and cries. And that's not wrong. And that's, you know, that's appropriate for this, but that's not great for continuing developing relationship with God. So just asking the question, God, what should I pay attention to? Or uh, maybe developing that as what are you paying attention to in my life that I'm not paying attention to or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so how yeah. does that, uh, oh, sorry, good jump in thoughts. Well, I think I was just going to say, you know, we talk a lot about uh, spiritual direction, uh, both in our church and in the order of the common life. Um, and this is what a spiritual director also helps you do is if you spend a month uh, asking the question of yourself and asking the question of God, what is actually going on in me? What do I need to be paying attention to? Asking these deeper why questions. Why, why was I so upset? Why was I so stressed out? Um, what is it about what's going on in my life um, that has me afraid, for example? So like one of the questions I ask myself every single week is what am I afraid of? Mm. And it's really interesting. I've done, I recently, I know I'm a little bit of a rabbit trail right now, but I, I've recently done just a little bit of a review. I write down, not every single week, but uh, a handful of weeks a month, I, I write down my answers to those questions. And for the past five years, I've effectively been afraid of the same things. And uh, now to lesser degrees than I used to be, but it's just really interesting to then begin to note that in spiritual direction, and to bring that into the care of another person who's able to help me see things that I cannot see from their perspective. Mm. Um, so this is sort of like where it begins to feel like a little bit of a layer. There's some things I can do on my own, some things I welcome God's invitation into and ask God to speak to me. Um, I'm a charismatic. So like, I believe God speaks to us. <laughs> I think that's what, I think that's what charismatic means these days. But um And then we do that in relationship, in community. We ask people, a spiritual director, spiritual friends, hey, what about my life are you seeing? And is there anything that you think you might be able to see that I can't see? Um, And now we have all of this material for our our prayed life, you know, as Eugene Peterson would say. uh, We've got this, this data in front of us that we get to work through in prayer and in conversation with other people. and I just think that that's, that's sort of how God grows us up mm. from toddlers to adults. Mm-hmm. I run with, uh, you know, at our church and I've been kind of training this idea that uh, God works where we really are, uh, not where we kind of imagine or hope that we would or imagine or hope that, you know, who God is or something like that, but just where we really are. And so, but you're talking about even just asking the question, uh, what am I afraid of? That's just saying, well, let's find out where I really am, not where mm-hmm. I'd like to be. Um, or what am I craving in this moment? Not, you know, the imagined self-disciplined Jeff that never, <laughs> you know, desires things improperly, but, you know, let's be honest about 
about these types of things uh, as a way of paying attention in your experience, either pastorally or personally, um, in the traveling in the opposite direction, what are the long-term kind of problems when we don't just pay attention to these things, when we're not paying attention to ourselves? Uh, what kind of things do you see developing either socially or just kind of interpersonally um, when we just kind of fail to pay attention in these ways? Yeah, I think actually this goes back to the sort of original conversation around freedom is that um, one of the biggest challenges to the concept of freedom is, is when we is on some sort of foundational level, when we get what we want. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, you know, Augustine talks about this in his confessions. I think it's in like book eight or something like that. He, he describes his life as a life of getting exactly what he thought he wanted. And then, all of the things that he wanted get built up as a chain that actually now has him enslaved. So we get what we think we want. And then that stuff ends up becoming more or less a prison where it's no longer that we want it, that now we need it. And Mm -hmm. so you could, you could fill that in with whatever. Um, So if we're not attentive, then we just are a slave to our desires as the sort of Augustinian tradition would have it. Mm-hmm. And then if we don't pay attention, what eventually happens, and this is the answer to the question you're presently asking is um, we don't realize that we're just on autopilot in all of these like unchecked bad habits. And our life is now reflective of that where we just sort of have fallen into a pattern because initially somewhere you know, back down here, we begin to make choices based upon these small little desires that we thought we wanted. And now we can't undo some of those choices without a great deal of effort. We're just stuck in this cycle of, of, of habit that is actually forming us mm-hmm. in some bad way. So, however, if we're paying attention all the time and we're asking the question, why do I want to watch five, you know, Netflix shows? in a row right now. Like, why do I want that? What's actually happening? We're able to see that maybe it's because we feel anxious. Well, what am I anxious about? Uh, and then we, we start sort of unpacking that a little bit and we, we stop that really unhealthy coping mechanism mm-hmm. um, before it happens. So that would be an example of what could happen. I mean, I'm not speaking of experience, of course, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never happened. I'm joking. And of course I am. Of course. Yeah. I well, I, th- I think, um, yeah, bringing up Augustine is a great example. And he, um, he kind of explains how it is that the past invades the presence, uh, and then kind of shapes our own futures. Uh, a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about, um, we had drew, uh, Dyke on about talking about, his book called your future self will thank you. Uh, and, and it seems like this idea of paying attention, uh, you could use it, not you personally, right. But certain people might use it as a way of, of a lot of like self condemnation of like, Oh, I'm so stupid that I did that again. Or I'm so stupid that I'm afraid of these things, or I can't believe I fell into that habit again. And so that's partly why we don't pay attention, right? Because there's so much condemnation involved with paying attention to our lives and the decisions that we make that we regret, uh, that it's, it's easier to binge, you know, Netflix instead of taking the time to pay attention and to kind of be confronted. Augustine, he speaks about that, about how, 
uh, the beginning of his conversion was how God kind of basically dropped a mirror in front of him so that he could see himself as he really is. And he was horrified by what he saw. And so a lot of us don't want to pay attention for that very reason. But but that's not, I know that's not your heart and the goal, and, and that's not kind of the contemplative life's goal is to heap condemnation on us, but it's just to, to be honest about where we are. And like kind of the most up-to-date neuroscience, you know, basically tells us it's really hard to change in the present, but we can change the future. And so when we pay attention to uh, the past or to those desires in the present, then we're, we could bring them to mind. We can talk to God about them. Like you said, what God, what's, what do I need to know about this? And then we can lay out a different course for the future that could be different than the past. And so, but there's no way to get to that future that is different unless we're paying attention to what's going on now. And we're partnering with God about that. Uh, and so this is why, uh, yeah. So I love that example of bringing Augustine up because, you know, we're enslaved by our own past choices and we are hoping for a new brighter future, but that's not going to happen unless we really pay attention to the present and what's going on. Sorry, that was a mouthful. I just kind of threw all that out there, but you brought up Augustine and I spent a lot of time on Augustine. So, well, the last thing is, because I was curious, you know, because I know you're very shaped by Ignatian spirituality uh, and he talks a lot about attachments. And so how does paying attention kind of in your mind connect with attachments uh, to the world or, you know, inordinate attachments or however you want to talk about that? Uh, And then how might that kind of lead us to paying attention to God a little bit more? Doesn't he talk about attachments a lot? This is my question. He does. He talks about um, ordered and disordered attachments. Mm -hmm. And um, I, and I think I would say that the, the way that I think about disordered attachments is the, the attachments that we, it's like, you know, maybe representing it with sort of open hands, closed hands, um, or, you know, the Apostle Paul saying, I have learned the secret of, of being content, whether having abundance or suffering need. Mm-hmm. So he's not overly attached to like a $90 bottle of wine, or uh, he also would not have any trouble uh, pouring himself a glass from a $90 bottle of wine. It's like either is fine with me, whatever would be greater glorifying to God in this present moment. And that's the question, though, is that... Um, you know, sometimes we just get so fixated on things um, that come from our own will and that we forget that that, uh, that God is actually wanting to lead us in, in the present. So even like commitments we made years ago um, to certain things, to certain ideas, we get overly fixated on. And so I think what Ignatius is ultimately trying to help us understand is that our desires are really, really important and what we want in paying attention to what we want is actually really, really important. And yet we have to hold them with a level of openness where, uh, where, where it could become revealed to us that maybe we want that thing uh, for all the wrong reasons, or we want them, uh, you know, a little, we want that thing with too much sort of, uh, vigor, so to speak. So, Mm -hmm. um, no, obviously we're not, we're not Buddhists. So we're not trying to shut down desire. That's not what this is about. It's just trying to hold desire in a way that recognizes that um, everything belongs to God. Every person belongs to God. Um, and most of our problems uh, tend to stem from grasping too tightly onto things or people. 
Mm. And just to sum up then, like the only way to undo that is to pay attention to the things we're paying attention to. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Whether yeah. it's, and then say, and then asking God, what do you think about those things? And do I need to pay attention to them less? Do I need to pay attention to something more? Uh, and then move on from there. And I love, I know, you know, you and I are now moving on a little bit in life in our forties, you know? And so there, there is kind of that history of like, well, I made these commitments to myself or to my spouse or to God or whatever. Um, but, but maybe now there's more life and now there's another turn ahead. And so, uh, those, all those things need to be paid attention to, to see what to do with them. So, well, thank you so much for jumping on. I personally am really, I can't wait to kind of keep hearing updates about this, uh, the book you're working on uh, and kind of what it means for the, Me church, too. the church in the West. Yes, yeah. You're under contract, writing deadlines, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, thanks so much. Is there um, is there a way for people to find you or to get in touch with the things that you're uh, working on, Jared? Yeah, I mean, presently just, uh, you know, my website is jaredpatrickboy.com and I'm on Twitter. And Instagram, uh, Instagram at Jared Patrick Boyd, Twitter at Boyd Jared, something like that. You'll find me out there. But um, I'm not very active on the socials, but um, I'm there a little bit from time to time. We'll post some thoughts there. And how come people find out more about the Order of Common, the Common Life? Yeah, just uh, orderofthecommonlife.org. It's uh, uh, we're trying to reimagine uh, monasticism and religious orders in the 21st century. And so there's a website there that talks about our rule of life and our way of life and how you can get involved with uh, some of what we're doing. Excellent. And about this podcast, uh, for all of you listening, you can find this on Spotify, iTunes. We're also on YouTube. Uh, you just search Jeffrey Holsklaw, Jeff with a G, uh, and you can find me on all those places. Well, thanks again, Jared. I'd love to do this again sometime soon. Sounds good. Let's do it, man. All right. Well, take it easy. Mm-hmm.